Good morning, church family. Amen. Good singing, and we're glad that you're here. If this is your first Sunday at Windsor Road, I'm Randy, and I'm uh, the preaching minister here at the church. And uh, we are in a series through the book of Revelation. And this morning, we're going to be talking about security. John, have a seat. That's our key word today, security. It's our theme word, real security. And uh, we're going to talk about what, what is it that gives you security? What is your source of security? Who or what do you look to for the security in your life? And um, I thought it would be good for us to have a brief conversation with someone who is in the security business. And so I've invited John Folsom from our church to uh, talk about his job and to talk about how his faith affects uh, what he does. Um, John and Julie Folsom are uh, just active, um, Christ-loving, uh, one of, our, one of uh, the many active and Christ-loving couples here in the church family. And uh, John and Julie are leading the uh, summer mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And our church is very healthy because of couples like uh, the Folsoms. And John works for the Transportation Security Administration. And uh, you may have seen, if you've ever flown out of Willard, uh, you, will probably, you probably have seen John um, on the job and everything. John is a, a, a supervisor. He's a supervisor officer for the Transportation Security Administration. So I just, just thought it would be interesting for us to talk about uh, uh, John's job and how... Uh, how uh, John reflects the love of Christ uh, at, his, at his work. Uh, how did you become an officer for the TSA, John? Uh, well, I was uh, raised in a church, and uh, even as far back as I can remember, uh-huh. uh, memories of anything, they're memories of being in church uh-huh. um, with my grandmother and, and uh, my brothers. And, um, but it's you know, instilled in you to to want to take care of others and to to love others and okay. uh, and to um, be Christ-like and to show God's love and and it kind of carried on throughout my different careers as you know prior to TSA and that. Um, but then, of course, nine eleven happened and um, buildings fell and lives were taken unnecessarily and and uh, you know I'm watching it on TV and watching things unfold and and. Uh, I guess I was thinking, you know, that somebody should do something about it. You know, that it's not right that oh. um, that um, somebody should make it right and, and make sure it doesn't happen again. And, oh. and I guess so. That, that was a, I mean, that was like a, that was a moment for you when you were watching the towers go down. Exactly. And you were thinking, this is right. And and so of course TSA was wasn't created, but it was elevated. And okay. uh, how many was, uh, were in the. TSA before 9-11? There's about, about 60 people. 60 people right. in the TSA. How many are uh, employed in the TSA now? Well, within about a year, year and a half, they had about 60,000. 60,000. Yeah. So from 60 to 60,000 60, yeah. within a year and a half. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, what, um, so what do you do? What's your job entail? Uh, the, the Cliff Notes version, I guess, is we keep bad things off of planes. Okay. We keep bad people off of planes, mm-hmm. bad things, bad intentions. Uh-huh. Um, we, we try and reduce the in-flight risk of every plane that goes out. Okay. So um, keeping 
everything that's not good, of course, down to a minimum okay. uh, before it takes off. But you're also a supervisor. Also a supervisor, yeah. Okay. So that's a, it's a dual role. So you get to manage and juggle uh, passengers and incidents, but then also employees, okay. um, employees' um, concerns and, and issues. And, and, uh, but it's, it, it's been good. It's good to be able to put um, God's, um, how he wants us to be in the practice and to, and to incorporate him into the decisions you make daily. Hmm. Um. So, so how do most people respond to you? Usually good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Usually yeah, good. Yeah, when we take somebody's toothpaste, they get a little irritated. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but generally they understand. It's, we have a job to do. We have right. directives to follow. We have uh, processes to follow. And, and most people understand. We have some that have... Um, you know, genuine concerns, you know, they want to have a voice yeah. in, you know, um, why we're going through their underwear or whatever. And that's, that's yeah. understandable. I'd want to sure. know why my bag, why me, and, and right. things like that. So it's just working with those people. And on occasion, we have those who don't get it still. They don't get it, really? <laughs> still, yeah. Like, how do you mean? Like, what, like, specific, okay, you say toothpaste, but... Well, uh, you know, like, we have, um, a while ago, we had to take a elderly gentleman's knife and he probably used to clean his fingernails or cut on some wood or whatever you know that's yeah. just something he had for years obviously and, and mm. um, of course somebody down the line didn't quite understand why sure. why him what's he going to do with that why you are know? you taking grandpa's knife exactly he's 90 a, <laughs> right. right but it's right. not right. grandpa that we're really worried about it's okay. you know maybe the 300 pound 250 pound guy two or three people down the line there yeah. that see that grandpa has a knife and might have um, not quite as amicable intentions as grandpa. Right, okay, all right. So that kind of leads to the rewards and frustrations of your job. What, I mean, how do you find your job rewarding with what you do? Oh, it, it's, uh, it, it's great because uh, I get rewarded every day, mm-hmm. almost every hour practically, every time a plane takes off and lands safely. To mm-hmm. me, that's a, that's a personal reward mm-hmm. to know that those people that I've interacted with and, and talked to and, and hopefully helped in some mm-hmm. way um, have made it to their wedding or to their funeral or mm-hmm. to their reunion or to their business meeting or whatever they've got to do. And so when that plane lands, it's, it's pretty rewarding. The flip side of that would be the frustrations about your job. I mean, you've got to put up with a lot, Yeah, I would think. Yeah, there's, there's still those that... that it just seems like they woke up and decided they're going to catch a plane today and, and don't look at the rules and the guidelines and, yeah. and things like that and, and um, you know, how to function with thousands of other people that they're going to be, you know, functioning with throughout the air system, you mm-hmm. know. So that, that can be frustrating as well. Um, but it, it's, again, incorporating, uh, I think, God's love and God's, um, what he wants us to do with those people. And if they don't get it, maybe... To bring them about, you know, helps them way. get it exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, I, you know, I, th- I think about this, you know, when I go to the airport and, and fly or whatever. Are we secure? That's a loaded question. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. It's uh, compared to nine eleven. Secure. Okay. Okay. So from nine eleven, I would say yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we are a lot more secure. Um, I mean, and I don't want to take away from anybody who, who served before 9-11. They, they, they did what they could with what they had. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do not want to 
um, take anything away from that. They, they did as best as they could, um, but 9-11 but forced us to kind of look at the processes and, mm -hmm. the, and the actions and refine it, you know, better equipment, better... better Do you process. test yourself? We test ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Um, we, we do. TSA even has like a um, kind of a covert team that runs around the nation and really lays it on us. Um, as really? Far as, um, yeah, as far as uh, okay. devices and bad things. Okay. <laughs> and we don't know them from, from anybody. And, but there's, there's still about a 40% failure rate. On, really? Yeah. That from your own internal? From our own internal wow. operations. Okay. Right. So it's, we still have a ways to go. Um, are we secure? No. I, I don't know that we'll ever be, well, we won't. We will never be 100% secure. It's impossible. So what, do you, so what do you do with that? I mean, and especially as a believer, what do you, what do, you do with that, that kind of reality? What you have to do is kind of adverse, I think, to the mentality that most security or, or um, fire or police people have in, in that, um, I think what makes them good at their jobs in most situations is they, they have control issues, they have um, processes, they have things they have to be able to grasp a hold of. You know, a fireman has to know that there's no more bodies in the building, they just, mm -hmm. they just have to. It's that control thing. You know, police have to know when they send that car down the road um, that there's no other bad things, there's no other bad intentions, you know. Um, and, and the same for us, but, but really to get past that, you, you've got to turn that control um, over to God. You, hmm. You've got to, uh, I mean, to make it perfect, and I mean, you have to relinquish that and give it to a higher power. Hmm. Well, I'm glad you have, and I'm glad you are uh, where you are, aren't you? Thank you. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to pray over you. Yeah. Can we, so let's, why don't you give us the privilege of getting to pray over you, John, and, and uh, uh, church family, uh, if you want to stand with your brother and uh, uh, in prayer as I uh, ask God's continued blessing over John and uh, his ministry, really, um, of security, you, you come. Is Julie here? Is she? Okay, that's fine. Yeah. She was here for service, and so. Gracious God, uh, you are uh, the sovereign Father in heaven. You are in control. Um, and we trust you completely. And I'm grateful that uh, my brother John um, trusts you completely. And that reality allows him to be your servant uh, in this very important uh, position. I pray that you would just continue to um, give him wisdom in every arena, uh, not just here with the church family, but with his own family and with the community uh, out at the airport where he is uh, dealing with passengers every day and also dealing with employees. And um, I'm grateful that he knows who you are and what you, and what you have done, uh, can do, and will do to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, John. Thank you.
Well, I, I feel more secure knowing that someone like John is serving where he is, and I've, I've gotten the chance to see him in action. Um, a week ago, su- Saturday, I guess it was, Sarah and I were taking some international friends uh, of ours. They were leaving Champaign after their time with the university, and uh, we took them to the airport. And my friend, who uh, is a spiritual seeker, uh, had, had his luggage, and then he uh, had a, just a plain old cardboard box full of papers. And uh, he was getting ready to strap them and everything. And I told him, I said, you don't do that yet. We need to get that through the security, uh, the TSA officer. And, and, but he was feeling a little anxious because they were important papers to him and all. And uh, so in the middle of his anxiety, I, and John was there, and it was just great. And uh, I said to him, I, I pointed, uh, and uh, I was several feet from John, so out of earshot from John, but I said, I know him. He attends Windsor Road. We're friends, and he's in our church community, and he's a strong believer, and your, your papers are secure. They're safe. And, uh, um, and John made them that way. And my friend, I could just see the, the tension kind of just moving away from my friend's heart as uh, he knew that his papers were insecure, or were secure. And um, uh, and it's good to know that someone like John, you know, gets it, that he is Christ's presence uh, where he works. Not, you know, we, we celebrate Christ's presence here in worship, but out in the marketplace, we are the presence of Christ. And uh, it's, it's encouraging for me to see that. Um, and it's also important to see agencies like the Transportation Security Administration because those kinds of organizations show us how much we need security, how much we need security, how much we're looking for security, how much we long for security. We want security. And the search for security occurs beneath the clouds of insecurity. I mean, where do you turn to for security when you are beneath such a cloud? What do you look for? Who do you look for? What do you look for? That kind of depends on where you are, right? If you're at an airport, you'll look to the TSA. But what if you're alone at home and it's a cloudy, bluesy day and you're looking for security? Where do you find it? You find it in a court of haagen Or a court of something else? Or you're at the mall and you find it in a, you know, a, 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 a credit card and a department store sale? Or if you're at a computer, do you find it looking at certain websites? Who or what is our source of security? And, and, and whatever it is you're pursuing, how's that going for you anyway? Now, the book of Revelation is really all about security, It's about the security that God provides. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to the book of Revelation? And in fact, just let's just take it uh, for a quick recap on what's been going on since Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one. You'll find that on uh, page eight hundred and sixty-seven of your church Bibles. The Apostle John, who is being persecuted for the gospel, he's exiled on the island of Patmos. 
His is an insecure world. And in that insecurity, he sees a vision of Jesus unlike any he'd ever seen. And in this vision, chapter 1, John sees that Jesus is in total control. In John's insecure world, John sees the security of Christ. Jesus is his security. Revelation 1 tells us that that he is not, Jesus is not distant from this insecure, shaky world. Rather, Jesus is in the midst of it. He is standing among the churches. Seven of them, the seven historic churches of Western Turkey at the end of uh, the first century. But yet we say that that number seven is symbolic and it's what's true for those seven churches is true for every church. The message that Jesus gives to these churches and, and these messages are contained in chapters two and three. And, and Jesus' message to all of the churches are basically this. Put your security in Christ, not in your culture. Put your security in Christ, not in your culture. Now, that message is very clear throughout all of the seven churches. And what's true for those seven churches is true for this church in this culture. Put your security in Christ, not in your culture. Revelation 1 through 3. And then in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, John is swept up into the throne room of heaven, the most secure place in the universe, where he sees that God rules in indescribable splendor. Angels and angelic rulers and angelic elders, along with all of creation, without ceasing, they sing, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are holy, you are holy. In chapter 5, John sees a scroll in the hand of God the Father, the one enthroned. The scroll, what is that scroll? It is God's last will and testament. God has a last will and testament. Did you know that? Do you have one? God has one. And it is sealed with seven seals, seven blobs of wax with that signet ring signifying its comprehensiveness, its completion, and its importance. There's nothing more to add to God's will. He's not going to revise it. It is fixed. And John also sees in chapter 5 that there is only one person in the universe who can open that scroll because there's only one person qualified, Jesus. He alone is qualified to open the seals and put the contents of the will into play. Only Jesus can be the executor. Only Jesus can open the scroll. And he begins to do so in chapter 6, right? Jesus breaks the first six seals. And when he does, it looks anything but secure. (laughs) I mean, there's chaos. These four horsemen are galloping across the earth, killing and famine and disease and death. What's going on? I thought God was all about security. What's happening? And what we learned in chapter 6 is that God is using evil to punish evil. And God is judging Satan with evil. And that's why at the end of chapter 6, there's this question that Satan's followers ask for the great day of their, that's God the Father and God the Son, the one on the throne and the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who 
can stand when God begins to punish and to judge evil? Who can stand? Who can stand? And Revelation chapter 7 answers that question. The secure will stand. The secure will stand. God's people will stand. God who provides security to his people. The God who protects his people. Who protects their faith. Who protects their hope. This God, the living God, he is the one who who will protect and shield and shelter and seal, seal his people so that they will stand through the storm. And that's what's going on beginning in Revelation chapter 7. Follow along with me. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now what's going on here? Well, the best commentaries I found teach that the four winds here that we just read about, the four winds are simply another way of talking about these four horsemen in chapter 6. And that's common in Revelation. Jesus is described, one person is often described by two different metaphors. Jesus is described by the lion, but he's also described as the lamb. Right. And that's what we see here. Evil is described by two metaphors. Four horsemen in chapter 6 correspond to the four winds in chapter 7. But before the winds are unleashed, before the horses are, you know, let out of the barn, the angel cries out, don't let go of the winds before we seal the servants. We're going to seal the servants. We're going to make them secure. Well, that word seal, what does that mean? Well, it, it's, the same gramma- it's the same grammatical word in chapter 5, verse 1, seven seals, right? But, but it's a different meaning, okay? And the context determines the meaning, see? It's the same word, but you have to, and, and we know that in English, right? When you, you take the word seal, just take the word seal. Our word seal, what is that? Is that a you know, stamp of approval, Right? Or is it an animal at the zoo? Depends on the context, right? That's the way English works. That's the way this language works, too. Context determines. And in chapter 5, verse 1, the word seal has to do with these blobs of wax which seal the document, okay? But here in chapter 7, the word seal is, well, think tattoo. (laughs) God's into tattoos. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, in Rome, soldiers would often get a tattoo as a seal of identification. They, they, they served the emperor so they could be identified, especially if they went AWOL. <laughs> yeah. And the point is that 
The seal is a mark of identification. It's a mark of possession. It's a mark of ownership, all right? And, and so that's, that's part of the reason why it's right there on your forehead because you can't miss it. <laughs> right there, okay? You can't miss it. Later on, we read about another kind of seal, don't we, in Revelation. The seal of the beast, the mark of the beast, that number 666. It's, it's the, the tattoo in Revelation 7 is a counter image to the tattoo of the beast. You see, it's a, it's a counter metaphor. It's a counter word picture. It's a counter meaning, meaning you are either marked by God or you are marked by Satan. There's no neutrality. There's no neutrality whatsoever. It's one or the other. Christians are either marked by the seal of the living God, it's the living God, see, or some pretender. And so you see what the message is here? The, 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 the point is that before the bad people and the bad things get on the plane, God marks his people so that they will be spiritually identified and protected. And listen, when the plane goes down, when the plane goes down, you see, you, see, you need to understand that the way God provides security and the way the TSA provides security, it's just different. It's just different. John's mission is pretty clear. Keep bad things and bad people and bad intention off the planes. But, but God's security business is, God says, look, I am remaking this world. I'm going to make all things new. And that means I'm going to use evil to punish evildoers. And, here it is, I'm also going to use evil and suffering to prepare my people for eternity. I'm going, to use, I'm going to use evil in two different ways. I'm going to use evil to punish evildoers, but I'm going to use evil to refine my people. And you may say, well, that's just absurd. I understand, but you know, you, you know that, it's, that it's through the difficult storms of life. That's where we grow spiritually, right? I mean, I don't have people telling me, well, I grew spiritually when I went to the Four Seasons Resort and I was getting that massage and, oh, that was grew spiritually. Yes, well, would that it would be like that, but it's not. It's not. The storms of life, that's what spiritually toughens us, and that's why James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know, you know, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God uses storms of suffering and persecution and evil to toughen his people. That's how he does it. Furthermore, it was at the cross where God used evil to destroy evil. One of, the, one of the most important statements made near the cross came from one of the thieves. In Luke 23, 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, at Jesus. The criminal said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But that's the point. He couldn't. Jesus couldn't. He could not save himself and us. He had to choose. He could have. Could have chosen himself. He could have 
have called every angel from around the throne, and in the blink of an eye, he would have been saved, and we would have been trampled beneath the hoofbeats. But we would have been lost. Even when they were mocking Jesus from the cross, Jesus from the cross refused to save himself. He gave himself for our security, which means to follow Christ we are going to then need to follow in his footsteps. And that means some of you will face death. Some of you. And when that happens, when the storms strike, when the winds stampede, God's people can know with apt. When the plane is going down, God's people can know that things are not out of hand, things are not chaotic, things are not as they seem. There is a God He's in control. He's holding the reins of the horse. He's holding back the wind. He is our our security through the storm. He is our security through the storm. I hope you're comforted by Isaiah's words in Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. But now this is what the Lord says He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I, the Lord, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Can your credit card say that? What about those internet pictures? Can Haagen-Dazs say that? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Haagen-Dazs. <laughs> I mean, it is great ice cream. <laughs> it's just a lousy God. Yeah. It's just a lousy God. Uh, Christopher Wright has written an outstanding book uh, titled, uh, it's based on Revelation 7.10, Salvation Belongs to Our God. Christopher Wright once said, false gods never fail to fail. The trouble is, we never fail to forget this fact. We still look for salvation from saviors that are anything or anyone but the living, saving God. Verse 2 talks about the seal from the living God. The living God. The living God who marks and seals and protects and shields his people so that they will be spiritually safe when the storms strike. When the storm, and then and, and you see the whole, the whole purpose of it is not so that we can say, well we, well, we got through that storm. That's not the end game. See, the end game is not just getting through the storm because God's security is the security that provides us strength to stand through the storm so that one day we will stand before the throne. Before the throne. Security is a security that strengthens us to stand through the storm so that one day we will stand before the throne. And that's verse 9 and the rest of the chapter. 
Oh, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. What are they doing? Standing. Standing before the throne. And in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Ah, We stand through the storm so that we can stand before the throne and Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, hold your horses, Bolding House. You forgot verses 4 through 8. Come on, what about that? No, I haven't. Now, verse 9 describes verses 4 through 8. You see? I haven't skipped that. Verse 9 is another way of saying verses 4 through 8. Remember what I talked about? Two metaphors? One people? See? Yeah, in verses 4 through 8, there's this, you know, well, think about it for a minute. Verses 4 through 8, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And then you have have the 12 tribes, and actually the the tribe of Dan is not even there. Nor is the tribe of Ephraim, and some say this is because that they because they were idolaters. See, and Judah is up front. Why? Why? Because the Lamb Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, and but you've got this hundred and forty-four thousand, twelve tribes, twelve thousand. What is all that about? Well, think about that for a minute. That number twelve squared multiplied by ten cubed. What's that? It's complete. It's a symbol of perfection, completion from all the tribes of Israel, the true Israel, the true Israel. And who is the true Israel? Verse 9, the great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne God's people gathered are a multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-racial people. And that's the restoration, you see, that, that was lost in Genesis. In Genesis, we see the nations scattered throughout the earth because of sin and evil. But in Revelation, the nations are gathered in praise at the new heavens and the new earth. You see that? You see, think about it for a minute. If it's true, and it is, If it's true that in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, if it's true that the Apostle Paul, who was as purebred Hebrew as they come, once said in Romans 2 that a man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly, but only a Jew if he is one inwardly, if it's true that the people of God are from every tribe and nation and tongue, then then how can we say today that God has a special affection in his heart for those of a specific ethnicity. How can we say that? We can't say that. We can't, not biblically. Now, we can say that God assigned a specific ethnic group for a special mission, a special assignment, and we can say that that assignment has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ, in Christ Ethnic Israel's mission was completed. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Yes in Christ. And, 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 And some may say, well, yeah, but what about that verse in Psalms? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You should. And while you're at it, and while you're on your knees... 
Pray for the peace of Washington, D.C. And pray for the peace of Beijing and Moscow and London and Tehran and and Baghdad and every other capital. Your government needs your prayers. In Christ, though, God has promised and he's fulfilled his promise to bless all of the nations. But here's what you need to understand. Please get this. (laughs) God's blessing is not a cash box of, of, of miracles waiting to be claimed. Okay, you know, all nations will be blessed, Abraham, as you are blessed. And the reason why you are blessed, Abraham, is because you have turned to the source of blessing, God himself. Do you get it? The blessing, the blessing is not the gifts. The blessing is the giver. So often we think of heaven as, the, so often we do think of heaven as the four seasons where we're going to come as customers to be coddled for all, for all eternity. <laughs> what, is that, what is up with that? Heaven is God's home. If I go to Steve and and, and Janice Shipley's home, and and, and, how would that be if I said, well, I want to eat your food and live in your home, but I don't want to have anything to do with you? Well, that's rude. See? But we think, oh, heaven's going to be where I'm going to be. No, you're you're not the subject of heaven. (laughs) You're not at the center. Look at the picture here. You're not at the center. The Lamb is. Okay? And it's God's home. And that's why verse 10 says, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You do know that, don't you? Salvation is God's property. He owns it. You know, often we like to think of salvation as, you know, something self-centered. Well, we got saved and we want to find salvation. We want to tell others how we found salvation, how they can too, but we don't own it. We can't sell it. We can't dispense it. We can't barter for it. We can't decide who gets to have it. And we can't threaten to take it away. Salvation belongs to our God. He is the subject of the act that saves us, not the object of our attempts to get salvation for ourselves. Salvation is of God. It belongs to our God. It was initiated by God's grace, achieved by God's power, offered on God's terms, accomplished by God's Son, secured by God's promises, and guaranteed by God's sovereignty. Salvation belongs to our God. And that's why we can stand before the throne. That's why we can sit, because it belongs to Him. And that's what they're doing in verses 11 and following. I'm telling you. Oh, the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their face. This is worship saying amen, praise. Look at the sevenfold acclamation, meaning, I mean, it's just complete and wonderful praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. And then one of the angels asked me, these in white robes, who are, this is a rhetorical question, (laughs) okay? And John says, well, I I think you know who they are and you're about to say. (laughs) The angel says, you're right. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. The great tribulation. That is to say, all of the junk, all of the sin, all of the persecution, all of the stampeding storms that have been going on in the world since Christ ascended to the point of his return, all of this, that's the tribulation. And like a mother in childbirth, the labor pains intensify near the end. And these have come through that, through the storm, through the fire, through the river, through the water. And look, they've washed their robes 
and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Wow, what a picture. Do you know who's in heaven? Huh? Sinners. <sighs> yeah, sinners. Redeemed sinners. Broken people. Do you see this picture? It's a picture of broken people who have been given someone else's clothing. Broken people. If you're here today for the first time and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I'm good enough to be with this crowd, let me just say, you don't know us very well. Okay? Just stick around. Okay? This church is full of sinners. And their pastor is one too. Therefore, therefore, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And, and later on in Revelation, we're going to see that Jesus is the temple. Let's see. And he who sits on the throne will get this image, this beautiful image here. He will spread his tent over them. Wow, he'll spread his tent. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of the Tents. When God's people in the Old Testament arrived at the Promised Land, God commanded them to celebrate a holiday once a year to commemorate their 40 years in the wilderness when they had to live in tents. And then God had a big tent, right? The tabernacle. And it was a reminder to God's people of how, of his security. The feast of the, the, feast of the tents, the feast of the tabernacle was a, was a holiday about God's security. How God kept them secure through the 40 years wilderness adventure and now they were safely home and they worshiped there and they praised and that's why they're holding palm branches because in the old testament that was a part of the holiday celebration bring your palm branch and celebrate god's security but in revelation chapter 7 it's not just the hebrew race celebrating how god safely and securely brought them through the storm here in revelation 7 it's a blowout knockout rock and worship service about how god has brought every race every nation every language to himself to himself more than a place the new heavens and the new earth god himself is our reward god himself the giver and that's why that's why what John is teaching us in chapter 7 is that Jesus Christ gives us strength to stand through the storm so that we can stand before the throne where he is. He's our security. God, our security in this life, he's our reward in the next. And that's why verse 17 says that the lamb at the center of the throne will be there. Did you catch that image there in verse 17? The lamb at the center of the throne, look, I love it, will be their shepherd. Is he a shepherd or is he a lamb? Yes. See, he was the lion lamb earlier, right? But here he's the shepherd lamb. He's the shepherd lamb. And what a picture it is. You see who's in that picture there? Do you see who's in that picture there in verse 16? Why, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, she's there. Remember that? 
Remember that woman who had had five not good relationships and she was and was in the middle of a six bad one and then that that dusty hot noonday she met Jesus. Well she's in that picture and look Verse 17 says, never again will they hunger and never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. What a picture. And then then chapter 7 concludes, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a picture. I got to see a a picture just just this week. I had uh, someone call me and uh, tell me about, about a picture. Uh, she, um, well, she stood around her father's deathbed. And the family was there. Her sister was there. Other family members were there. Her father, her uncle was there, the father's brother. And uh, it, was a, it was a picture of love a picture where loving words and caring words and truthful words and graceful words and honest words were spoken. Um, it was words between a, a father and a daughter just before, just before father's about ready to step into eternity. It was a picture of the father who, as I said, is also a brother. So the brothers talk. You talk to your brother. And you say to your brother, I know you haven't believed in God. I know you haven't believed in God. But I want to tell you before I meet him that he's real. That he's real. Loving words. And you may think to yourself, oh, wow, they've, it's great that Christ has always been at the center of their hearts. That they can share these kinds of things at this moment. You know what? Christ has not always been at the center. And that's why it's all the more important that those words were spoken. And then uh, this a dear lady who was telling me about this said to me it was such a beautiful picture it was such a beautiful picture um, and, and then she said this she said I am so grateful to God listen to this that she gave me this gift See this gift I can tell you they weren't passing around the credit cards around the deathbed. And they weren't passing around ice cream. And they weren't passing around internet pictures. They were passing around the only source of security that we can have. And that's the shepherd lamb, Jesus. That's what makes the picture beautiful. Even in death. Now, I want to ask you one more question. Are you in this picture? I'm going to ask you one more question. Why not? Why not? This, this, is, this Revelation 7 is just calling us. Come and join us. Come and join the celebration. Come be a part of the picture. Come be a part of the picture. And I'm going to stay right up here after services. And if you want to be a part of the picture, 
I can introduce you to the one who will grant you that privilege, that privilege. But for now, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to stand before the throne and we're going to worship. Uh, In fact, let's stand now. Uh, The God who makes us secure through the storm will give us the security to stand before his throne. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your security. Your security. We love you. And we love Jesus. Oh, wipe our tears dry. Amen.